A reading from the second epistle to Timothy, chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the 18th chapter of the Gospel according to... You know, I did it again. Golly, man, what are we going to do about that? I'm trying so hard. Y'all should stand up for the reading of the gospel. Maybe what I'm trying to do is it's more dramatic if you sit first. I don't know. My Lord, I need to put something in my bullet. Mm, I'm just trying to get to the sermon, you know what I mean? Bad pass. Reading from the 18th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long in helping them? I tell you, He will quickly grant justice to them. And yet... When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm going to talk with you for a couple minutes here about something that's, that's very controversial. And I'm going to need for you to be patient with me about it. Is that okay? Something that's going to cause some of you some anguish. It's going to cause some of you to have an opinion that, that wants to well up and you're just going to want to shout it across the room. And I'm just going to need you to kind of keep that in your teeth for a minute. Is that okay? Because we're about to do some examination of the Oreo cookie. See what I'm saying? Now, I was taught that you eat an Oreo with a glass of milk. Anybody else? Now, y'all don't tell my doctor I was talking about Oreos. And that you dip that Oreo in the milk until one part of it gets soft. And you get to enjoy three quarters of the cookie soft, but you have to eat the other part hard because you don't really want to put that other part in. Some of y'all were taught that way to eat an Oreo, right? Some of you really, really, really like the, 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 the cream, what's called the stuff. And so you twist the cookie, don't you? Yeah, I see some smiles and some head shaking. And they're like, that's the only way to eat a cookie, preacher. You're doing it wrong. See what I'm, I'm telling y'all? People are divided about how to eat an Oreo. But some of you will twist that cookie and lick the stuff, and you don't care what happens to the little chocolate biscuit, do you? You can throw that thing away. You eat it because it was in the bag, don't you? Yep. And they don't really want, they might have the milk, might not have the milk, but they're, they're committed to their way of eating Oreos. They're wrong, but they're committed to it. Now, one day, I went to visit this family in their home, and a young boy named Connor Changed the world for me about Oreo cookies. Now you can't do this anymore because they barely put any white stuff in Oreos. But back then there was a lot of white stuff in a double stuff Oreo, about you know about three eighths of an inch thick. He stuck his fork between the cookies and dipped it with a fork. I was thirty eight years old. It was life changing. You can't do it now because we got this inflation thing going on. And apparently the white stuff's more expensive than the cookie. Why am I telling you that? This story that Jesus tells is a lot like an Oreo cookie. There are two pieces on the outside that get ignored all the time because of what he said in the middle. And people want to jump on what he said in the middle and turn that into the be-all of the story. So I want to point out to you the cookie parts real quick, if you'll hear them again. And just let them, let them sink in. The top cookie. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose it just gets skipped right over because people want to jump into this parable and say, well, who is the unjust judge? Who's the widow? Because we're used to applying parables to our daily life in some way as if it's supposed to tell us what we are to do about something. And so very often we miss that the Lord is somehow trying to convince us that we ought to always pray 
and not lose heart. And then at the end, the bottom part of the cookie, if you will, Jesus asks a question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Isn't that a great question? One of my favorite writers says that that question is the key to all of the parables. That may be a little bit of an exaggeration, I think, but it is a helpful thing to have in mind when you read Jesus' parables is to wonder when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? That all of the parables are meant to address that question in a way to talk about faith in His death and resurrection. Faith in His ability to deliver us from sin and death. Faith in His ability to put injustice to death and to swallow up evil. But we skip that and we skip the top because we want to deal with the gooey sinner. And all too often... In my mind, wrongly, what's been told to people is that we have to be like the widow and that we have to come constantly banging on God's door. We won't ever get what we need. That somehow we're supposed to mirror her action. I think Jesus is telling us that we don't have to come and give God a black eye to get justice. That's what she was doing. In the Greek, it literally says that she was beating him about the face that her constantly coming was going to give her give this unjust judge a black eye in society. That's a saying that we've carried on even to this day, isn't it? That someone's been given a black eye in public perception. And that's what this judge was worried about. Jesus isn't telling this parable so that we will we will think we have to come to God and bother 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 God God until God relents and finally gives us justice. He's telling us that justice is about to be accomplished already. Because God is not like the unjust judge is His point. Not that we somehow have to come and aggravate God into acting on our behalf, but that God is already acting on our behalf as this story is being told. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to lay Himself down and to have all of the world's evils and sins and injustices borne on His own body so that they can be put to death on the cross. The problem is not that the gooey center exists, but that we've been eating it the wrong way. We've been assuming that it's about our beating down the doors of heaven to get what we need. When in truth, what it is, is that a statement that God is already doing what we need. Listen to what Jesus said. Will God not grant justice to His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long in helping them? I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly, soon, is what He is saying. I believe that what Jesus is saying right there is that justice is being granted when Jesus dies for us. That all injustices in the world were dealt with at the cross. 
that the sin that causes injustice in the world was dealt with at the cross. And the question is, when Jesus returns, will he find faith in that concept? Will he find people who believe that he has established a new justice? That he has given justice by defeating sin and death? And that he will culminate that justice one day? That there will be a time when all eyes will be wiped, when all pain will be removed, when all injustice will cease and evil will be swallowed up. Do we have faith in that? Will we believe that justice is coming, that the day when justice will roll like streams of water is coming, that that day is already here because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that it requires faith for us to act on it? The question is, will he find faith in what he has done? Will there be a people who believe that his death matters in the face of injustice? Because God is not like the unjust judge. What did Paul say? What was the timing of the crucifixion? What was the timing of this great act of God to deliver all of God's creation from injustice? What was the timing of it? It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It was while we had no concept that we should come to God and ask for mercy. It was while we had no concept that we could come to God and find justice. It was while we had no concept that our purpose was to act justly, to walk humbly, and to love God. It was not on our radar. And at that moment when we had no clue that God was like this, God died for us. At that moment when we were so blinded by our sin that we could be counted as God's enemies on our part, Christ died for us. And the question is, when Jesus comes, will He find faith in what God has already done? Will He find faith on the earth? Will He find trust in what God has already done? Dear ones, if you want mercy from God, you need but ask. That's what Jesus said. All you need to do is ask. You don't have because you haven't asked, He said. Ask and you shall have, He said. We are not required to beat down the doors of God's house to get mercy. Mercy has already been shown to us, already been granted to us. The work of justice has already been done. We are called to walk in its way. To walk as a people who know that the Son of God has paid for every unjust act ever created, ever done by human beings. That Jesus has given Himself to defeat the sin and the death that prosper injustice in us and cause us to oppress others. Jesus has dealt with it already. The question is, will we live that way? Will we live as a people who know that God is gracious and merciful? Will we live as a people who know that we don't have to beat God's doors down or give God a black eye or ruin the reputation of God in order to get what we want or what we need? It's better to say. 
Jesus' point is that God is not like this unjust judge. That God is acting even as He is headed toward the cross. That right then, justice is being worked. That right then, mercy is being granted. As Jesus travels to Jerusalem, He's just one chapter away. He's almost there. And that is the context of this story. So the cookies matter just as much as the stuff in the middle that we'd all rather eat. Jesus tells us to pray always and not lose heart because God hears and because God is merciful and God is acting on their behalf because God is acting on behalf of every person who had ever cried day and night for the people of God to be delivered from the powers of sin and death and oppression and exile and injustice. That God was acting right then and acting quickly and acting soon for every person who had ever cried out for help. That Jesus is God in the flesh going to the cross to defeat injustice and declare an age of mercy and graciousness. And that, dear ones, is the reputation of God. He is not an unjust judge. He is not one who is unscrupulous. He is not one who only looks out for himself. The reputation of this judge was that he didn't care what God thought. And he didn't care what any man thought. But the reputation of God is to be a God who dies for sinners. A God who loves, a God who makes justice when there is no justice by sucking up injustice on the cross and swallowing it into death. The question is, do we believe? Will we have faith and pray that the justice that God has established will be seen in this world? That is exactly what we do when we say in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We pray for the work of the cross to transform the world. So while I should say I hope you'll never see an Oreo cookie the same again, What I truly hope is that you'll never think about prayer the same again. When we ask for things for people, we're asking for what Christ has already provided. When we ask for someone to be delivered from bondage to sin or bondage to illness or bondage to death, we're asking for what Christ has already done. We're asking for something to be defeated that has already been defeated so surely we can come and trust. Surely then we can come often. Surely then we can come incessantly would be a good word. To pray always and not lose heart and keep faith that God is not like the unjust judge. And for the evidence of that, we have the cross of Christ. So dear ones, pray. Pray always. And never lose heart. And keep faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because the age of justice and mercy has come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.